This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Fourth show of the week. Thanks for joining us. It's Kelly and Ramya. Ramya Amadan, Kelly McDonald. We have two hours with you, two hours of different conversations coming your way. Though, if you listened last Thursday and you're listening today, you're thinking, oh, okay, but you guys have a lot of weekly conversations that we can look forward to, those staples, as I call it, and I'm looking forward to those as well. But before we get to that, Kelly, um, earlier this week, and I go into it on my vanity card, either today or tomorrow, I can't remember, but I found a tape recorder. I didn't find it. Somebody else in the family absurdly found it, and in there was a cassette tape, which nobody uses anymore, and in I on that pardon. sorry on that cassette tape nobody in my family yeah on that oh, cassette okay. tape are uh, just ridiculous shenanigans of my brother and I when we were children when we were six and eight years old hella embarrassing but so funny so I gotta ask you if you have a recent discovery of something from your younger days whether it be home video audio or something you wrote when you were younger want to spill the tea for us a little mm. tease us gosh I don't think so not. It, it, because answer. I mess with so much <laughs> older stuff anyway from my childhood, whether it's watching nonsense on YouTube. That hey, I remember that. I was looking one day at the Saturday morning cartoons from the 70s uh-huh. just for fun, just for fun. And what it reminded me of. And there was commercials that were coming on. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I, I remember specific moments watching those sitting on the floor in front of the television, whether it be in Montreal or London. Um, but I laugh when you talk about the cassette tape because I last year. Maybe last year, maybe a little longer now, played a cassette tape of my brothers and I running around and my father <laughs> and uh, doing a broadcast style of me and this other kid that I hung around with when I was little, like I'm talking four or five years old. No way. And we were ra- racing and my dad was was doing the play oh, by play, play of us racing. That's oh, so it was a fun. Riot. Oh, man, it was so funny. And, and the problem is when I can't tell the difference of my brother's voices and mine. Which one of us kids is that? <laughs> yeah. Until we say the name. <laughs> I think, especially because you guys, um, you've lost your father, so going back into those archives must be so much fun for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, you know, I think you worry. Um, well, I do, of forgetting what my parents sounded like. So I, I think I'm pretty lucky because I can find, if I needed to, of course, all on cassette, sounds of their voices yeah because i do think good god do people actually forget i don't think so can you but that was always a worry of mine exactly well it's lovely to go back even if it is more than a tad bit embarrassing let's see what's coming up on today's edition of kelly and Rumia. we've got attachment theory and the conversation and breakdown around that with fern lullum she's going to tell us how attachment theory can affect our relationships when she tells us exactly what that is On our accessible gaming segment, Marcus McCracken talks to us about Last of Us 2, remastered for the PS5, and what he likes and dislikes about this particular game. A 
Uh, Eastern Ontario content development specialist Karen McGee is our guest on today's roundtable. This is where Kelly picks a whole bunch of topics and we run through them. Give us, uh, give you guys our opinions, and I'm sure you at home will have opinions of your own as well. Interesting um, entrepreneurial news coming out of Calgary. Police mm. in Calgary have laid drug trafficking charges after a man handed out business cards with free samples of cocaine attached at a downtown casino. Calgary police officers became aware of the cards on Christmas Eve after they were handed out to patrons at a casino. Each card had a small baggie attached with a sample of suspected cocaine. Investigators began a drug investigation against the individual in January and last weekend searched his vehicle, recovering cocaine, individually portioned in more than 50 baggies, a digital scale, and cash. A 30-year-old Calgary man faces a number of charges, including two counts of trafficking. Bill Graveland, the Canadian Press, Calgary. Wow. The actual... Um logistics around this is so interesting because you got to now measure out the cocaine you got to measure out what it, how much he's actually had how much he's actually distributed and then the potential of what he's already distributed so that you can actually uh, charge him with the correct um you know issues right like that's that's interesting to me because it's not even like it's what he found what they found already in his vehicle it's interesting when you think about when somebody doing something like this, the the brashness, the or recklessness, if you want to even say that, sounds for like what he put some work reason? into it. Well, yeah, but for what to what end, and how much money is behind? <laughs> like to mm. go out and do something like this and figure, hey, maybe a few people will will take up on it. Like you really has to have it in your mind. Yeah, go ahead, charge me. I'll, I'll wiggle off of this one because it's so ridiculously. You know what? What am I doing? You know, here's a little. Oh, I'm in possession of. Oh, but what do I get in return? Right. The irony what of it is, if calls me exactly. And the irony of it to me is that you know, usually when people are. Um, dealing drugs or whatever you're trying to stay under the radar if you will and That's the, right. the process you're not really the one to be advertising and saying call me next time but this guy's like hey i need to print out my business cards because i don't want anybody else taking over this well, business and then how do you not figure out who's calling is it a setup is it the cops like when mm -hmm. they do call you and if you get bail you get out ha ha laugh all this off and the judge says get out of here or you just get nailed with possession okay so but how do you know when that call, email, whatever contact comes in and says, I want to make a buy. Like, what is the whole reason? Or is it simply a distraction for something else oh, going on? Oh, it's a front, is it? Well, do mm. we even know if a the business cards were... A red herring. Do we even know if the business cards were associated with the cocaine? Like, it may not That's be right. even related. That's right. That's right. He could be, uh, well, you know, advertising his recording, uh, audio editing skills. For all mm. we know, it could be anti-cocaine. <laughs> God, that's brutal. All right, we're going to take a break. Um, after the break, we're talking to Mike Fair, and he's continuing his discussions on accessible iPhone games. Today, we're diving into a more complex game called Doncaster, and we'll see his review about that. This is Kelly and Ramia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. With you, it's Kelly and Rumia. You can find us 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV, on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern for the first airing, and then every eight hours after that, and on 
on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ramia Amuthan with Kelly McDonald, and it's time for us to get into audio entertainment and tech, a little accessible gaming with Mike Fair. Audio entertainment and accessible technology are increasingly important in our lives. I'm Mike Fair, here to help you make the most out of your devices. We'll share tech tips and product reviews. Plus, I'll steer you towards the best accessible games, audio dramas, and podcasts. We'll talk about it all here on Kelly and Ramya. Here we go. We're going into part two of a discussion we started last week. So check part one out on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, but Mike, you told us about two recently released rogue-like deck building games, which are accessible to blind players on iPhones and iPads. We focused on Conjury, which is the easiest game um, out of the two. And this week, we're going to dig into what makes Doncaster more complex and then figure out if it's working out for the blind gaming community. So how does the scope of Doncaster actually differ from Conjury? So Conjury is really uh, you against the monster horde, and you're going through this forest basically alone. Uh, you, you run in, into different things, and it's the scale is small. Uh, it it's almost feels like a classic video game where you're just up against all these different levels. You run into the boss monster, you move on to the next one, and round and round you go through kind of a, a circular pattern. Um, you know, Doncaster is a bit different. It has mm. uh, basically the mechanics are, are deeper. So where uh, uh, Contrary keeps the mechanics very simple, there's one kind of energy to play your cards. You just have mana, and uh, your cards cost mana, and they're never destroyed. You, they just get reshuffled into your deck. It's very simple. Doncaster is different. It has character building and uh, a narrative quest. You're going through a story, uh, making decisions which have consequences on the game. Uh, the mechanics are more complex. There are three different types of energies uh, to play cards with. And uh, it, it's the cards can be destroyed. Cards can be altered in various ways. Uh, so the mechanics are much, much deeper uh, in the game. So there's, there's a lot going on uh, in Doncaster that really pushes it to to uh, be one of the the more this is what what the the genre can be if it's fully fleshed out fully scoped and uh so you've got the big epic story you've got uh you know the the big decisions the the crazy moments of card mechanics uh and uh yeah it's it's a real epic uh quest there you're going on wow Sounds like so much to it, Mike. What incredible and what a difference. Um, how do you actually navigate the landing on Doncaster? Yeah, so basically you're in this fantasy land and you go through uh, different zones and each uh, zone contains a number of locations and you work your way through a zone and then you eventually get to the end of it and fight a boss monster before you go to the next zone. So each time you finish with a certain place within a zone, you have you can go to three different locations. There are always three, at least one choice, usually three choices uh, to go to. And some of these choices will appear, uh, they're fleeting. Some of them will disappear uh, if you don't take them. There are treasure trap opportunities. You don't know what it'll be, but if you don't take it, it could disappear. On the other hand, campsites and other things will reappear, blacksmiths. Uh, you'll probably get a second chance at those, but you never know for sure. Uh, and, and so there's there's a, a bit of uncertainty, but on the other hand, you can never get lost. There are, there's always at least one choice to go to. You're never trapped. 
Hmm, interesting. And what kind of dilemmas does this style of travel present to players of Doncaster? So let's see. You're you're you've just uh, been injured. You're exam. You're investigating bandits in a forest, and uh, you've you've been injured badly. You need to restore your health, and you come. You have these three choices. One of them is a campsite, which you can uh, either uh, heal your health, some of your health. You could remove the greed card that you accidentally picked up that will injure you if you draw it at the wrong time. Uh, that's not good to lose a chunk of health while in the middle of battle, and you never know when that card's going to come up. So uh, it, it's it's that mechanical. Do you get, ditch the greed card and remove that uncertainty? Do you heal your health, or do you go for the opportunity to get a trap or treasure, uh, hoping, of course, that it's treasure, uh, right. and, and and not have it vanish on you, never to return. So there's there's that kind of dilemma that you're facing about, uh, you know, and you never know, that campsite may, may take another couple of turns uh, before it reappears as a choice. So you really get a, a board game sense with this as opposed to more of a classic arcade game. This is more like a deep board game, move by move, with consequences going forward. Uh, into into the future as as you're building your character in, in this big epic story. Mm. It's interesting, you know. I think of these games when people describe them to me as almost um, theaterisk, you know, theater, TV, where you or or like a a soap opera where you have time to build that character, get all the things you need. I always imagine, especially as a, as a non gamer, Mike. I'm not a gamer, so I hear the description. Like, wow. Patience, time to do that. So does playing in a different class of character have a big effect on your approach to the game? It basically changes which cards you're going to value more and how you think about using them. Each class, right. everyone can use every card as long as you have the energy for it. But some classes will have natural uh, pools of energy in two of the three different kinds and or, or sometimes one so it changes what you have to gather to use some cards how easy it is to use them uh, you have different abilities and powers uh, at the start that you you pick from so each class and, and there's a progression there's a meta progression where you earn fate shards every time you play the game and that's what really carries over game to game because you go into this uh, meta progression menu and you choose perks for your class uh, and you can choose them for any class that you've got going so uh, for example you might upgrade your rogue uh, and open up a pool of extra health and that applies to any future rogues that you you play so those rewards are, are permanent kind of uh, improvements to that class uh, as as you play from game to game so it's it's a really neat kind of system that really takes all that into account and gives a, a much deeper kind of resonance to the game as, and uh, to your replays of it uh, mm. over time. Yeah, and I guess that's the um, upside of these kind of very complex games, right? It may not be the first game in this kind of a scenario that you would pick up or like this type of gameplay. But if you do pick it up, you can definitely keep it interesting for longevity's sake. How can we modify cards? So basically, it's all about finding locations and opportunities, player characters, shrines let you upgrade cards uh, or remove cards, uh, campsites let you remove a card as one of your choices or heal. Um, you can uh, upgrade in blacksmiths 
so there's all these characters, locations that will let you do that, but you never quite know when they're going to be there, when you're, those opportunities are going to come. So it's all part of figuring out, uh, you know, of course, if you're in a town, then it's more likely you'll run into a blacksmith and in, you know, the, the things that you'd find in a town. So the, the right zone can make a difference as to what's more uh, prevalent uh, so it's it's all about the locations and and uh, sort of picking your moments and, and trying to have the resources so you can pay for upgrading or changing your cards if you want to. Speaking of pay, Mike, how does each game make money? So basically, uh, Conjury is a one-time purchase. It's three ninety-nine, and you get the the whole game, no strings attached. Everything's just there. Doncaster does it a little differently. You pay six ninety-nine for the basic game. That gives you access to all cards that are released in expansions. Uh, so whether you bought the expansions or not, you automatically get all the cards. But ex there are four expansions, each of which costs regularly $6.99. And you, they, they give different uh, encounters and locations, uh, things like that, in addition to the new cards for that expansion. So it, buying the expansions gives the game a lot more longevity and a lot more replay value because it offers different events, different choices than you would have had without it. And uh, so that, that can really build onto the game, which now has something on the order of a thousand cards. Hmm. So it's, it's grown huge. And each expansion is $6.99. You can bundle the first three, uh, and that gives you a slight discount uh, on on those those three expansions. That bundle was about seventeen, as I recall, something like that. Um, so it's it's and you just pay for everything just once, right? So right. You know, once you buy an expansion, it's yours forever. You never have to repurchase, and there's no subscription in in either of these cases. It's just a one time. If you want this addition to the game, pay this much, and you have it forever, kind of thing. Yeah, again, I think that's really, really smart. Any other kind of in-app purchases or anything like that? No, right? Not really. There's, okay. uh, I think there's a support, the developer kind of thing. If you want to go over that amount and pay even more sure. uh, to support the game, you can. But nothing you need to. If you buy the, Once you buy the expansions, they're just yours. The base game is that one price of $6.99. So very kind of transparent, open uh, mechanics of money-making, no hidden pay-to-play things. Uh, it's it's very uh, neatly kind of laid out. Okay, cool. And how much work do you think, you talked about supporting the developer, how much work goes into making a game like this? Yeah, this is where, yeah, I have some idea of this, uh, just yeah. having looked into these games a little bit. This one was three years in the making, uh, and it's still going on, of course, because they're still making additions to it. Hundreds of cards. You're balancing all the numbers, making sure the cards make sense with each other, making sure nothing really fundamentally breaks You know what you've built so far, uh, all of that stuff. And then you have to... Not everyone's good at number crunching, so you really have to make these cards intuitive to use. So you don't you don't have to be a number nerd to to play these games. They should be easy for an English major like me to grasp. And for the most part, they are. I can follow what they're what a card would be used for, what it might work mm -hmm. well with. You kind of have to be able to intuit that. And then there's all the math. There's the art. There's the sound. There's the pictures for the game and the cards. Each card, of course, has their own pictures and things. Uh, sound effects for everything, music, uh, making the game accessible uh, could not right. be easy. 
they did it quite quickly from what I've heard. And uh, hats off to them for a, a really good start uh, on that road. The game is, is very accessible now. And they're, they're constantly, they've done like two or three updates since last week, even, you know, just correcting accessibility things, tweaking wow. that, making that better. So they're really focused on that. And, uh, and available. Really the, yeah, very. You can approach them, you can give them feedback, and they act on that very quickly, it would seem. So very impressed with that. I do appreciate when um, developers kind of keep in contact with the community. So it's not just this, hey, this game is accessible, which we, we see a lot more of that with, um, you know, bigger gaming uh, companies, right? Where they put out an edition of the game, they've made the big uh, deal about it being accessible, but then you don't have real-time feedback available or, you know, taken no. until the next big iteration, so. And this, we're constantly getting news about yeah. what's happening there. They've joined the Apple This forum and the audio games oh, wow. uh, net forums. They're very in contact with... Uh, the blind community, and they're inviting blind people to join their Discord, mm -hmm. uh, mm. which I I have no idea what I'm doing with Discord, so I haven't done that. But yet. there's so many blind um, people on there, so yeah, they're really oh, yes. seeking out the community. Yeah. That's amazing, exactly. And they're going where they're they going, need to, right, to do so. Yeah, absolutely. They're going well out of their way to to involve us and to really get feedback and act on that. So that is that is massively impressive mm. for me. Well, we're talking about Last of Us uh, Part 2, I think, later on for Accessible Gaming with Marcus, so we'll do a bit of a comparison uh, on this part of it. Mike, thank you. Yeah, pleasure. Okay, chat next week. Absolutely. We can find Conjury and Doncaster, the two games we featured uh, the last two segments with Mike on the iOS App Store. Again, it's available for your iPad and your iPhone. And if you want that in-depth review, again, go check out the podcast. Mike Fair will be back next week to talk more audio entertainment tech and anything else that he wants to review. After the break, we're talking attachment theory and what that means for our relationships. This is a very interesting psychological phenomenon. We're going to talk more about it with Fern Lullum when we check in with her after the break. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Romeo return with more in a moment. You know, a producer's job never really ends, especially when you have a daily show like this one. And uh, we have a couple of producers. We got Grant Hardy chasing stories. We got Matt Agnew back and Jeff Ryman. But everybody else is really just associate producing as well. Like little things here and there to add color to the show. We'll see what happens. We'll see if anybody's willing to add more color to today's show. Aside from the absolutely fantastic conversations we already have lined up for you for this two-hour show, of course. It's Kelly and Ramya with Kelly McDonald and Ramya Amadhan. What do you expect me to do? Move on. No, you <laughs> expect, like, people to, to keep entertainment, you but engaged. Yeah. All right, all right. Not just me, we'll the get, listeners as well. We'll get everybody else here to do it. You just settle back there. Everybody will oh. deliver and take care of you oh, here. thank you. Okay. Our next guest will definitely take the bull by the horn here. Always good topic, serious, or sometimes laughs. Let's see what we've got in store today as we welcome Fern Lulliman from the UK for our bi-weekly UK check-in. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lulliman from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. 
Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. Again, fantastic topic. Not quite sure where we'll go with it, folks. Settle back and listen in. Today we're talking about uh, attachment theory and what it might mean for our relationships, Fern. Yes, that is right, Kelly. I'm already a bit nervous about that, um, about the producers bringing a bit of colour. What are they going to do? I feel like know yet. I'm in for something that I'm not expecting here. Yeah, but, truly. Uh, okay, let's just... Uh... If it makes I, it I think somebody, I, none of us know. None of I us. I think somebody's going to walk in there with a pail of water and wake Rummy up. Oh, no, let's not do that. <laughs> That's what I'm suggesting. Right. Go ahead, guys. I don't as mind. I give you permission. Rummy, not me. That's fine. That's me too. They got to have yes. a long arm to get me or you. We are, that's very true, I'm safe here. Um, we are talking about attachment theory today, Kelly. Um, we are going to be delving into our relationships. So if you are having maybe a fight with your friends or harsh words with your other half, let's sort that out and make sure, you know, try and make everyone happy again. I like okay. harsh words with your other half as a podcast title. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Nice. <laughs> okay, Fern. So let's start simple. What is attachment theory? Well, attachment theory. So first and foremost, I always like to stress that a theory is just an idea. So quite often when we hear these things, and especially because they're, you know, psychological concepts that have been around for ages, it's very easy to think like this is the be all and end all. A theory is just an idea put forth by somebody. So if you think this is all complete rubbish, I, I should really pre preface every time I come on the show mm. by saying, if you think this is rubbish, just don't listen to me, it's fine. Um, That's a but, disclaimer, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we should put that on my intro. Um, so uh, basically, a theory um, was put, put forward by John Bowlby in the late 1950s that was called attachment theory. And it's all about how your earliest caregivers, so that could be your parents, or that could just be somebody that was looking after you when you were very young, kind of forms how you look at relationships, gives you a kind of a blueprint for what to expect in relationships. And from that, you either gain a secure attachment style or an insecure attachment style. And then later on, um, another psychologist called Mary Ainsworth came onto the scene and she did some research in this department as well. And she defined out of this secure attachment and insecure attachment, four different styles for very you know um specific styles that were different in terms of their attachment and that is what we're going to be talking about today wow yeah and then tiktok has taught me that it even gets deeper and more subcategorized from there Fern. so it's like in a minute okay. uh, all in a minute Track. it's all the stuff that happens in a minute on tiktok right mm -hmm. well now they got 10 minute videos don't you know okay so tell I us did not yeah Ooh. trust me i gotta speed that up anyway uh, tell us about Six the time speed. different attachment styles, Fern. You said four? Yes, there are four. Now, the first one is secure attachment. The second one is an anxious or ambivalent attachment. The third one is avoidant attachment. And the fourth one, kind of like um, an offshoot of the avoidant attachment, if you will, but it's called fearful attachment. So those are your four. Mm. And I will you know, break those down for you further if you wish. Okay, yeah, please, Fern, give us a brief overview of what each style might influence in somebody's actions. Okay. 
Well, secure attachment is the one that I'm always fascinated by because I'm not sure. This is why I kind of preface this with this is just a theory, because is anyone really completely secure? And the answer, I, you know, because I checked all of this, I did a bit of my research. The answer is no, nobody is completely secure in all situations at all times. Uh -huh. Nobody is perfect, right? We're all just human. But if you are predominantly secure, you have a, a more secure attachment style than any of the others, it just means you're able to regulate your own emotions a bit better you're able to have you know not necessarily not fights in relationships but when fights and stress come up you're you're able to handle it better you know so you you're able to kind of go oh okay I'm going to stay calm I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to sort of think about how we can handle this and communicate in a healthy way now let's get on to insecure attachments because I think that's the one that we're, we're most usually um more used to uh, more familiar with mm -hmm. so i'm going to start with anxious um attachment because i am very familiar with this one uh, hint hint uh, basically <laughs> anxious attachment is where you fear that somebody might not like you anymore you know might sort of abandon you if you will and in order to mitigate that it's very performative anxious attachment so basically you're trying to please people all the time you're trying to keep them on side you will do anything you know let me do a tap dance for you let me do whatever i can to keep you loving me and thinking that i'm worthwhile because quite often with an anxious attachment we don't actually think we're very worthwhile underneath the surface ourselves so we need to right. look to others right. to give us that love and we need a lot of reassurance that they still love us because if we don't hear from them for a while we get scared and we need them to say it's okay I still like you. Okay, mm. so that's anxious in a nutshell. Um, then we have avoidant, which essentially the principle is the same. We're all afraid that people are going to leave us. But the difference between anxious and avoidant, kind of two sides of the same coin, is mm. that avoidant, mm. whereas anxious is kind of like, oh, come, come back to me, you know, and I'm going to perform for you. Avoidant does the opposite. Avoidant turns the other way. And if you have an avoidant attachment style and you think somebody is leaving you, you will just go, well, I don't care. I can take care of myself. I can give myself everything I need. I don't even want you and like you anyway, right? Because it's easier to kind of take yourself out of the game mm. and not be vulnerable because if I don't care about you, then you can't hurt me. That's essentially. right. You can't hurt me. Yes. Yeah. And then finally, we have fearful, which is basically a mix of anxious and avoidant. So it's the Katy Perry hot and cold come here, go away. It's always kind of mixed messages. You never quite know what to expect, basically, from a fearful avoidant. Okay, well, that mm. kind of sums it up. Um, do people with the same attachment style, because I think we're all kind of thinking of this in the, the background, right? Like, who do we become drawn to, if you will? So do people with the same attachment styles often form relationships or friendships with each other? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you would think so. You would think that that would work. You know, you both got the same attachment style. You'll understand each other. You'll get each other. But interestingly, we don't do that. We just like to torture ourselves, essentially. We like to go after people who have completely different, because sometimes the opposite attachment style to us. And I think... In a way, that's quite, you know, on the surface, that sounds like a nightmare. But I think yeah. within that is quite a helpful thing because 
we're often seeking the thing that we're not so good at. So for example, I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm more the anxious attachment style naturally without having, you know, done any work on myself or anything like that. I would be anxious. And so I might go after, you know, and be in a relationship or a friendship with someone who's more avoidant because they're better at being independent and not needing other people. And so I see something in them that I go, oh, I need a bit of that. Mm. Let's be in a relationship together. But obviously the downside of that is quite often you don't understand each other because you are operating yes. in two completely different ways. Yep. Yeah. And you may two not even be spaces. conscious of all, any no. of this stuff, which means you're constantly being triggered potentially. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good so <fun>. <laughs> when we look at this, Fern, give us an example that might happen between two people who have different attachment styles. Yes. So let's take early dating. I think this is the classic case. Let's say you are in a text exchange with somebody that you've just started dating and all of a sudden they stop replying, right? How are you going to react to that? So a secure person, a secure attachment, um, somebody, they would kind of say, okay, they've stopped replying. I'm going to take a step back and I'm just going to leave it for a while and just see what happens. I'm going to notice that this is something that this is a bit odd, you know, I wonder what's going on here, but I'm not going to kind of freak out and get all, you know, up in arms about it. I'm just going to see what happens. And I might talk to them about it at some point and say, Hey, what, what was that? Oh, yeah, I didn't hear from you for a while. Right. Nice. Calm. That's what we all want to be. Right. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. there's me. This anxious attachment <laughs> um, where you you go mad, right? You just think, oh my God, they don't like me anymore. What can I do? And you'll just start, you'll you'll just keep kind of messaging them and saying, oh, would you like me to come over? You know, I can, I can bring you around some goodies if you like. Oh. You know, I will do anything just to get you to talk to me again because I'm scared now that you don't want to talk to me anymore and I need to do something to change that. Mm. Avoidant, avoidant attachment. And um, if you have that, you might just go, okay, well, I don't care. And you might just kind of put your phone away and not look at it for the rest of the day and just go, I don't need you anyway. I'm fine as I am, right? That's an avoidant. And with a fearful avoidant person, like I say, it's especially, we're talking about text messages. This is very mixed messages. You might kind of, at one point you might think, oh, I need to do stuff. You know, I need to try and get them back. And at another moment you might just think, well, I don't care. And that can kind of change very quickly because you've got kind of, both of those styles all mixed into one. Mm. Complicated. Yes. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, What can you do to lessen the, I guess, disagreements between you and somebody you know who has a different attachment style than you? If you can kind of pinpoint some of these scenarios, especially the tactile ones, like with the text messaging. Yes, exactly. So what we need to think about here is that it's kind of like you're in a figure eight. So the more you do the thing that you do in your attachment style, the more the other person will kind of delve into theirs. So to give you an example to to kind of explain what I mean, if I'm anxious and I am in that situation with an avoidant person, the more I go, hey, come come back to me, come back to me, the more they're going to go, no, like stop Mm. smothering me, leave me alone. This is, you know, because the anxious style is is, uh, more afraid of being kind of, their independence taken away from them, right? They're they're all about kind of like, this is, I need my personal space. I don't want to be kind of forced into something that I'm not okay with, or I don't want to do right now. And that's exactly what you're doing when you're kind of like saying, no, now I need you to talk to me now. I don't want to wait. Um, So the more you kind of 
dive into your style and do the things that you're used to doing, the more the other person will kind of delve more into theirs. And so you're just getting further and further apart. So the most important thing is to really notice your style and think, what can I do to break this cycle? How am I reacting right now that might just be kind of triggering the other person to behave in exactly the way that I don't want them to behave? And what can I do to kind of mitigate that? And of course, as I always say, the best way is communication. Talk to them about it. You know, have that secure healthy conversation with them. Tell them what things mean to you because sometimes people don't realize that when they're acting in a certain way, we assign all of these meanings to that in our head and that other person might not assign the same meanings right, at all. Right. So by explaining Absolutely. that and saying, when you don't talk to me, I get scared that maybe you don't like me anymore. They can just go, no, God, that doesn't, that's not what it means for me at all. Like that's not, I don't want you to think that way. And by voicing it, then we can just have that conversation, have it out and it's all sorted. Yeah. Fern, we're real tight on time, but I think this is pretty important if we touch on this one. Can having a disability influence your attachment style? Yes, I think it can. As I always say, not necessarily, but I do think that when you have a disability, you have a certain self-perception sometimes based on, you know, societal misconceptions and, and barriers and all the things, the challenges that we face where you may not think so highly of yourself and then in turn that can affect all of your relationships. So it definitely can have an impact on how you feel you know, if you feel someone is likely to want you or is likely to abandon you. And then, of course, you can react to that by either trying to cling on to them or by just saying, I don't need you anyway. Wow. A lot, Fern, today. Thank you very much. A lot to think about, especially when we take that honest look in the mirror at ourselves um, and hopefully be able to say, hey, yeah, and maybe support ourselves a bit better. Thank you. Absolutely. And make sure you have a good relationship between you, the two of you, okay? No mm. argument. Uh, all right, no arguing. I'm observing a well, lot maybe based on, on this air. convo. <laughs> All Bert, theories after all. Lullum joins us every other Thursday, opposite what in the world here on the program. Every Thursday, to cap off the first hour, we have The Buzz, and Beth Deer is going to be here with a story about a service dog that led a blind senior home after he was stranded by a taxi. Mm, sounds very familiar, like every other day. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Rumia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. You're sticking around with us. It's Kelly and Ramya. We are here weekdays uh, from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. We're also available on podcasts. So check us out whenever you want. Full show as well as our segments ready and packaged out for you for easy listening and easy sharing. Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amuthan, we're the hosts of the show. And every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we cap off the first hour with The Buzz. We have Beth Deer filling in for Bill Shackleton, and she's here with a couple stories to get through. So, Beth, where do you want to start? Where I always want to start, animals. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, you know how she is. Um, Animals such as dogs, chickens. Yeah. Uh And especially anything service dog related. Uh That is is my jam, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to stories like this. So, what's going on? Oh, yeah. 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 You guys know my passion about this topic. 
Anyway, a service dog leads a blind senior from Vernon, BC, back home after he was stranded by a taxi. Haven't we all been there? Oh my um, God. A blind senior in Vernon was looking for a way home, but ended up abandoned with only his service dog to lead the way. Someone called him a cab from Vernon Taxi. Uh, it's not Uber. I am going to name and shame. <laughs> uh, it's not Uber. They, it's oh. not Uber. <laughs> Um, so they called him a taxi from Vernon Taxis. When the driver arrived, they told the man his dog was not allowed to enter the vehicle. Can either of you guess why? Because it was a the the, the driver was allergic. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly ten why. points. <laughs> yeah, so obviously the driver classic excuse: I'm allergic. Your dog can't come in my car. Yeah. We've, again been there before um so after being denied entry from this vernon taxi driver they then sent another one and the situation just got worse and worse so (laughs) he said the driver couldn't find my house he drove around back and forth finally he drove down one street and dropped me off at a house and it was the wrong house oh my god so then he turned around and went to go back to the taxi and the taxi Car was driver gone. killed away and yep. like he must have seen this poor man like god oh, aggravates me so much but anyway i will give vernon taxi a little bit of credit here because normally you get absolutely nothing from these taxi companies and they're just like oh like oops like oh bad but like this taxi company said we are aware of the unfortunate and regretful situation that took place between Rolly and his service dog. We are using the incident as an opportunity to learn from our mistakes and retrain both our drivers and dispatchers so that situations like this do not happen in the future. Our deepest apologies go out to Rolly and his service dog, Dodger. Hmm. So I, I will I, I will give them a little bit of it's a, a nice note. Credit, it is a nice yeah. note. But the dog had with the dog led him home, which is the amazing part, like kind of like the pied poop of a pied pooper. Pied Piper pied pooper. and his flute. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, um Dodger uh was told like find the way home and you know, he did. He found the way home and this That's man awesome. did arrive back safely at his house. Um you know our service dogs are amazing majority of them just know exactly what you need and especially after you've had a partnership for a long time like there are certain things that like you can kind of tell your dogs to do that they definitely weren't initially trained for um and thank goodness the Uh, miss dear uh, miss dear let's be honest here this dog wanted to get home to eat and it was cold (laughs) and the dog saying you can't get you can't get a ride i'll get us home man let's go on it's not like a silver yeah let's be real if if there was no food in it for popo he'd be like uh no we'll we'll sit out here actually (laughs) i'll take a nap here i'll just take a nap here on this bench bush whatever it is it's um reward oriented we will take it (laughs) absolutely um yeah but yeah so what a great story let's move on i like the the ownership of of the cab company because we know it's such a slog 
this whole business because this stuff shouldn't even be yes. happening. And at least, you know, we always hear, like you said, Beth, they just go mute. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to respond to this. Oh, we don't know what you're talking about. Um, at least try something to try to make something better. To try, like, I can't even believe a driver peeling out like that. Like, it is, yeah. like, it'd be awful karma if he jumped the curb and got wound up and damaged his vehicle and had to explain, well, why were you speeding through that neighborhood? I was running from the blind girl and her dog. Or, yeah, sorry, honestly, case, like, man. it aggravates me so much, but, like, I do think that, the fact that they actually said, you know, we're going to take time to retrain our drivers. You know what? Yes, Even you. if it's just words, like that is that's what so I was much saying. More than majority of people get from a taxi company or a rideshare company that you know when they've been done dirty by them. Like most of the time, it's just like, oh, like sucks to be you. <laughs> well, it's yeah. acknowledgement, and I'll take that as a mm -hmm. first step in the process yeah. and the plans and you know what would be even better is if they just kept this person posted you know throughout the the process and like whatever changes are actually happening and whatever training they're quote going to be implementing on both the, for dispatchers and drivers all right keep me posted so i have the confidence that you're actually 100%. dealing with this you know what what beth dear would like to see in these situations is we all revert back to our childhood and when you do something wrong you have to apologize i think that roly and his dog are you know entitled to from the drivers like it's one thing like if we're really getting into it it's one thing like the company being like oh like i'm sorry that like our oh, drivers did a crappy job like we're gonna make sure they do better but yeah, that's like, corporate for the for the drivers to acknowledge like oh i actually really inconvienced someone and yeah you know yeah. it, it, it would contributed be to this conversation could world. happen right between the drivers and Raleigh Rolly, whatever you prefer to say, um, it would be wonderful if a conversation could happen. I know you cannot force that. HR would be, what are you doing? You know, if he says sorry, whatever, I get all that. But it, you know what? It might cut down on at least those drivers saying, you know what? That guy and his dog weren't so bad. I, I, I made a stupid mistake. What was yeah. I afraid of? Yeah. Maybe. I, mean, Maybe. Not, I agree. Say, I also know? think like it would be so worth it. And I've said this for such a long time. And it's something that I tried to do when I first got Patronus. I went to different schools. I went to church groups. I even went to like some Hutterite colonies and just told like my story, explained what Patronus does for oh. me. Um, and you know started just like a really open conversation i always used to say like no questions are bad ones i will right. answer anything i am an open book anything you want to know about me my blindness my dog ask me and i think that if cab companies would take the time to educate their drivers on like a wider scale where they actually have to you know sit down and have a conversation with maybe someone like Rolly that they they've done wrong and have to hear like the implications of that and actually have to be face to face with that person they can't just drive away um yeah. I really think that that would make such a big difference 
Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like... Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and I just feel like people need to hear that. And it needs to be blatantly, blatantly put down at the beginning. If you're a driver, if you're a dispatcher, that you will be dealing with service animals. You better be okay mm-hmm. with it. We, this is how we treat them. And that is part of... Not, it's not a guideline. It is the rules and regs, which it already is. But um, we just hear way too many of these kind of stories, Beth. Where else do you want to go? So... This is a really cool story, actually. I was uh, refreshing my memory last night, going through reading my notes, and it actually got me a little bit choked up. Oh. <laughs> Could just be pregnancy, but I actually think it is just like the nice story. <laughs> so headline reads, Voices from the Past read this incredible message in a bottle that has washed up on a beach after 32 years and left Finder in tears. So the lost... The lost message was written by two children um, in Lana Island for a school project that was led by a science teacher called Richard Brooks. Um, Encased in a green bottle, it was finally discovered on February 1st, roughly 12 miles up the coast from where it was dropped decades earlier. Scrawled massively in pencil, the message read, Dear Finder, as part of an earth science project, Uh, For ninth grade, this bottle has been thrown into the Atlantic Ocean near Long Island. Please fill in the information below and return the bottle to us. Thank you, Sean and Ben. (laughs) So cute. That's adorable. Um, Isn't it? So it was dated um, back in October 1992. Uh, The man who found it was just so happened to be uh, walking after they'd had like a big storm. He just looked over his shoulder and there was a bunch of like rubbish and debris left from the storm. And the bottle just happened to be sat on uh, sat on the top. So he just broke the bottle to read the message inside and immediately saw it was connected to a high school that he was familiar with. So he posted the image of the note on the high school alumni Facebook group. Um, The story quickly gathered attention and the teacher's son actually saw it. He commented on the Facebook post and said, oh my goodness, I'm in tears. I'm so emotional. My dad truly loved doing this activity with his students. And this is such a welcome reminder and appropriate remembrance. Thank you so much for posting. Um, The note was bittersweet for the family because the beloved school teacher had died in September of Mm. Alzheimer's and his youngest daughter had also died very recently as well. Um, So one of the co-writers from the letter saw the post and said, Mr. Brooks was an awesome teacher. What a fun project. Um, I can't believe this is this was 32 years ago. I really want to meet who found the bottle. So wild. So the finder of the letter has connected with the teacher's family and plans to return it himself and get to meet them. And they're all going to connect, I guess. How serendipitous of this whole thing. Like, that's Mm -hmm. unreal to me. And especially, like, off the top, we were talking about remembrance uh, in this way as well, Beth, Mm -hmm. you know, just having uh, mementos or other kind of things. Yeah, and especially for the family to get this note during this time, that's unreal. Yeah, You can't plan these things, that's for sure. All right, Beth, thank you. No, thank you, guys. We'll chat with you uh, tomorrow. Sounds good.
Beth Deer joining us on The Buzz. She'll be back tomorrow, same time to cap off the first hour. In hour two of Kelly and Ramia, we have our weekly roundtable. Content development specialist Karen McGee is joining us to flip through some topics that Kelly's brought to us. Also, accessible gaming with Marcus McCracken, and he's talking about The Last of Us 2. It was remastered recently for the PS5, so we want to get the review on that. But up next, Mary Mammoliti is stopping by to talk about some Valentine's Meals ideas for a cozy night in. Looking forward to it. We'll be right back. it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. We've made it to hour two of the Thursday edition of Kelly and Ramya. Wow, February 8th, second week of February, still in the first full week. So if you're celebrating recognizing White Cane Week, I'm sure there's a lot going on in your area or virtually just around the country for you to take part in. Um, one of our community reporters this week highlighted a couple of things from mm, their area. Great stuff. Yeah, Mathieu Hachette in Montreal yeah. told us about his personal just, you know, love and appreciation for White Cane Week as well. A lot of us in the disability community, um, specifically if you're blind or low vision, have you know, some kind of gratitude or personal recognition that way, right? Especially if you've gone through deteriorating vision or some level of acceptance from non-acceptance into your disability. So we appreciate that as a whole. Kelly McDonald, Ramia Amuddin, thanks for tuning in. Settle on back with your cantaloupe, whatever fruit or food you've got, and we'll bring the topics at you as they steamroll over you folks. Here they come. Let's get into cooking with Mary Mammolini. We do this on Thursdays from kitchenconfession.com. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mammolini, here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Mayor, today you're here. Rum was just talking about this being White Cane Week, kind of apropos as we look at next week, and we're almost through this week. Mm -hmm. uh, today you're here to share some Valentine's Day food ideas, meals for a cozy night in. Welcome back. I am. I am. It's so good to be back, and we're talking all things heart day today. Oh, All right. That's beautiful, know. eh? Aww. <laughs> uh, okay, man. Teach us how to make Talk chocolate. To Probably not. That's that's Maybe the one that makes a heart-shaped chocolate, just <laughs> yeah. the heart-shaped one. Uh, Mayor, how can you surprise your partner with heart-shaped foods without it being too, uh, how can we say this nicely? Glitchy. You know, like, yeah. Well, it's all about finding fun and unique ways to plate your affection, right? I mean, I know I, I wanted to start off with dinner ideas, but I'm going to start off with breakfast here um, because okay. I absolutely love breakfast. So let's start off with make the cutest breakfast with the Dash Mini Waffle Baker. I mean, this is so cute. Mm. It makes individual four-inch heart size uh, waffles. You can get creative and make hash browns in that Mini Dash as well. It's just so much fun. Um, and if you're not keen on making your own batter, 
just honestly pick up a pre-mix from the grocery store uh, of your favorite Belgian waffle mix. Add a little bit of liquid, mix, and pour the batter into the waffle maker, and then you close it up. That's it. That's all there is to it. Nice. And then in oh, no time, love it. Right, it's just nice and simple. And in no yep. time, you'll have perfectly cooked Belgian waffles, and they're heart-shaped. Right. Add a little dollop of maybe some homemade orange butter. It sounds fancy. Oh. It's very easy. Just mm. zest some orange in there, a little bit of orange juice, and mix it all up, and you've got orange butter. And then drizzle oh. a little bit of that. Actually, I like to put a little bit of um, icing sugar in there as well. Sweeten it up just a tad. That and then sounds dri- yep. right? so good. Spread that just yeah. a little dollop of that on top. Drizzle a little maple syrup and serve. It's so good. But wow. if you want to keep things a little simple, um, and I'm good with that because I love these. Just keep it simple with a bowl of heart-shaped Honey Nut Cheerios. Mm. I love them. Put, put a couple of uh, little handfuls of uh, fresh berries on top, and there you go. Cute. I can get on board with this kind of Valentine's Day. And on the side rum, have some cantaloupe. Mm, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Fruit with your Cheerios. Cantaloupe again? I maybe. (laughs) Kelly seems to be really into it. Okay, so now that we have breakfast out of the way, let's move to the main event: dinner. Flatten that waffle nice and down, just like a steamroll. Yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, well, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, let's move on. Yeah, I'm still thinking of waffles. <laughs> yeah. still on waffles. I mean, because they're so good and they're so cute. Oh, um, good heavens, yes. Well, okay, so here's some dinner ideas. Mm. They're quick, and it's a way to bring elegance of a high-end restaurant right to your home with a little twist because you can enjoy all this with your comfy, stretchy pants on. Please. Shout out to anyone who, shout out to whoever invented Lycra. They are my BFFs. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Love a little lycra and everything. Uh, try this 20-minute Alfredo sauce. So it doesn't get much oh. easier, and it's, it doesn't get much better because it's creamy, it's cheesy, and it's homemade. And it's not the traditional Alfredo sauce, but it's thick, creamy, and it can be used in almost anything. And it also reheats perfectly, which is what you want. So start with a roux, which is butter and flour, in a pan. Heat that through gradually and just add some, just keep on stirring or whisking. Add some milk, and I don't want you to add any milk that you want, but no less than a 2%. Um, and then, because if you do, you're going to have to add a little more heavy cream. Right. Add your heavy cream to it. Keep on stirring. Bring that to a little boil, and then immediately remove it from the heat. Because as it sits, it'll thicken and cool. Mm. Right. It'll Sorry, it'll cool as, it'll thicken as it cools. I'm going to get yes, that right. Yes, as it cools. Yep, yep. <laughs> right? We know That's what you what meant, there. We got it. In our head, we turned <laughs> oh, it around. Oh, thank goodness someone does, because I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> Just finish it off. Add a little grated Parmesan, freshly grated Parmesan, salt, pepper, and then serve it with your favorite pasta. Or even if pasta's not your thing, get a little oven-baked chicken breast. Yeah. Or a little on top. That's always nice. And I do always recommend using freshly grated cheese because... Right. There are no additives to it. So it means that it melts better and it results mm-hmm. in like that, in a much smoother consistency of your sauce. I, I would like this so much more because of the cheese. Like I I mean, I'm fine, I guess, with Alfredo a lot of people sauce. Do. Yeah, but I was gonna I say I really like the cheesier feel of it that we're talking about than like you said, the taste that you generally get. Yeah, and exactly. And that's why it's a fan favorite because of that cheesy yeah. goodness that's in it. And then what about keeping it casual? Right? You don't want that fancy dinner. You want to keep it casual. Have a family pizza night. Make this pizza. It's called Bianco Pizza, which, well, Pizza Bianco, which is white pizza translated. And 
it is the perfect cheese to dough ratio. I don't know about you, but that is my pet peeve. When there are too many toppings, not enough dough, vice versa, it's got to be the perfect ratio for me. So just get the pizza dough pre-made from your grocery store. This is ready in under 30 minutes. Wow. You can get it from the grocery store, your local pizza place. Sometimes they will sell you their pizza dough. A lot of times, actually, you'd be surprised. Just ask. And then let that rest on your counter for at least about 30 minutes. And it's just to remove that chill and let it sit a little bit. That's the, from the refrigerator when you purchase it at the store. Bring it to room temperature, roll that dough out and set it aside. In a small mixing bowl, I want you to kind of mix up maybe three tablespoons of olive oil, three cloves of minced garlic, brush this all over the top of that rolled out pizza dough. And then, but you want to leave an inch border from the edge. Okay, you don't want to go right to the edge. And then sprinkle two cups of shredded mozzarella cheese over top. Sprinkle about one and a half teaspoons of Italian seasoning, a pinch of salt. Bake that 450 degrees Fahrenheit oven for about 12 to 13 minutes. That's mm. it. That's all it takes. That's wow. So good. this is really good for the person that forgets. Oh, what mm -hmm. day is it? The 14th. Oh, you know, that, that's a perfect <laughs> exactly. one. Exactly. So Exactly. Mayor, while that person who's forgotten things, and if you know you've taken the time to at least do the dinner, so you have a little of your hands touching this special meal on the special day, why not buy dessert? What heart-shaped treats are available? Oh, absolutely. So for a limited time, Krispy Kreme has a six-pack of heart-shaped donuts. You know I'm getting those. Um, they're featuring oh, right uh, and just, and uh, just uh, double fisting get? with those. Well, I don't know what he's going to have, but I'll have all six. Yeah. They'll have the box to take out to the trash. <laughs> it's like, what happened here? I don't know. Nothing. Nothing happened. Uh -huh. Notice this one. It was broken. like a magic trick. That it one. just disappeared. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> right. So they've got six heart-shaped donuts. They're all filled donuts. And it starts with you color my world, which has a cake batter cream filling. Then the I love you a chocolate. Uh, with a chocolate uh, cream filling. Then you have your berry sweet with a white cream filling, strawberry icing, and sprinkles, because you have to have the sprinkles. And mm -hmm. then, without you, I'd crumble, which is the cookie dough cream <laughs> filling, chocolate oh, ice cream, chocolate chip nice. cookie crumbles on top, right? I could just face plant right into that box, eat my way out. And then if you're not sure where the nearest Krispy Kreme is in your area, because we all have to have these, check their website because they do list the locations there. You're missing one. You, donuts. you, you need the one, Mayor, that's one? the, yeah, you did. You missed the one that's the huggable one, the rubber ducky huggable one. That's the special one that they'd have some really cool, soft, bouncy, caramel type mm -hmm. ingredients oh in, right? That'd be, oh. that, that's what that would be. And you'd wow. call it. Rubber ducky. Right, Rum? Rubber ducky. I don't know. It doesn't sound very... No, you wouldn't call it that? No. Not appetizing to you? <laughs> no. Definitely not okay. for love it's day, good th but... It's a good thing I'm not going for appetizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mary. There's another one. This is the one she I want. She wants you to continue, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from the rubber ducky. <laughs> Please. We are doing Dairy Queen because if... You got, I, mean, I love ice cream. I don't know about you, but I absolutely mm. love it. And Dairy Queen's got their Red Velvet Blizzard Cupid Cake. So this heart-shaped dessert, it's com it combines like DQ's Red Velvet Blizzard with a vanilla soft serve, Red Velvet Cake. Wait a minute, there's more 
cream cheese icing. And then it's layered with even oh, more I cake like that. and icing. I'm not big right, on so, red velvet, but that is good. Oh, the man. DQ never icing. goes wrong, though. It sounds good. No. Everything's no. And it, it's enough mm -hmm. to serve two to four, or if you're hungry, with a fork, just Rum, one. Yeah. <laughs> but they also have a regular velvet, regular red velvet, say that three times, cupcake blizzard available for Valentine's Day, and they're served in a standard cup. Cute. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. like I said, everything DQ, just pile it up. Uh, for those more who may be more into cocktails or want to add this to mm -hmm. their menu, is there a drink that caught your eye? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dylan's is a small batch distillery, and they always have the most perfect kits. And for Heart Day, they have created the perfect Valentine's Day-inspired dessert cocktail kit. So it's called the Love Float, and the kit includes one 750-mil uh, Dylan's chocolate liqueur, one 200 ml Dylan's Rose Gin, one Dylan's Niagara Grenadine, and a bottle of mm. ginger beer and a recipe card. Then once you mix this all up, it doesn't end there because then you top it with two scoops of vanilla ice cream. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? The wow. kit is priced at $90 and you can order online or visit their uh, sipping room in Niagara. Oh, Let's take a trip yeah, to Niagara for uh, Valentine's Day. Oh my I God, say, that I sounds great. I call road trip. Yeah. I uh, and and trip, I, was, I was sold on the grenadine. Uh, Mare, uh, yeah. A Dish with Mary is on tonight at 9 p.m. ET, uh, Eastern it on AMI-TV. What's the scoop? What's going on tonight? It is. Well, thank you for asking, because this week's episode, I make my way over to Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Um, it's We go to the historic Gone House, and we visit Chef Brandon. He shares his culinary journey and what inspires him to create the seasonal menus over at Gahan House. Ooh. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Oh, my God, it sounds really great. You'll have a ball. We'll have a ball watching you have a ball and all the great things we pick up. Mayor, of course, enjoy our segments once a week with you. We'll talk to you next Thursday. See you next Thursday. Check out Mary's discussions on kitchenconfession.com. We talk to her every Thursday at the top of our second hour. Hard pass on the rubber ducky, but I'll take everything else that was mentioned on the menu today. Why, why, why would you be like, what a thought, though. Huggable, rubber ducky, way. appetizing. You're not going to eat it. It's a hug. Well, okay, it is a food, so. Only in the got to have some. Only in the bath. Car caramel? No. Nope. Anyway. You're not a caramel? After the break, Accessible Gaming with Marcus McCracken. We're featuring Last of Us 2. It's been remastered for the PS5. Let's find out what he thinks about it on Kelly and Remia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. It's Kelly and Remia. Thanks for sticking around. We enjoy having lots of content to share with you. Of course, we are weekdays available for you, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, live on AMI-TV, on AMI-audio starting at 4 p.m. Eastern, and available on your podcasts. Let's get into accessible gaming. Kelly and I have been looking forward to this convo, because earlier we talked a bit of accessible gaming as well with Mike Fair. But Marcus McCracken joins us on the second Thursday of every month, without fail, to talk accessible gaming with us. And Marcus, you're reviewing some thing um that's been out for a while but has been remastered for the playstation 5 and that's last of us 2 want to get into what you like what you dislike obviously the accessibility around it i think it's fair to say kelly and i have uh, no experience playing last of us kelly 
we're getting plural again. Okay, well, have you played it? No, of course okay, not. All right. but. Carrying on. So <laughs> describe to us first, for some context, what the game is about. It's uh, pretty much, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, like the, the Walking Dead series, it's kind of like that. You're trying to survive uh, a, a world of zombie type alien creatures that's taken over the human body. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all Resident Evil type feel, but it's got a really deep story and I deeply, it can be emotional at a lot of times, especially in certain parts of the cutscenes. Mm. So it's post-apocalyptic yeah. and... And it has a story rum. This is, goes back to what we were saying with Mike Fair, or at least what I was commenting on, how I find it interesting because, you know, there's a dedication to learn levels and play a game. I get that. And and to, to, to beat a game. But it's also very interesting when, when things take time to build. And, and I, as a non-gamer, really, I kind of probably romanticize it in some idea like, oh, wow, it's kind of like a show and you get to develop your character. I was saying earlier. So, Marcus, what makes this title so special to you? This title is actually what brought me back into the gaming uh, scene on PlayStation 4 with the original. Oh. Um, I don't, I cannot remember how I came across it, but I, I learned about it and researched the accessibility and did a lot of research through Steve Saylor and then finally purchased it. And then uh, that's that game right alone has been brought me back into it and is why it's going to have a, a long time number one in my heart. Mm. And, yeah, the opportunity to play the first one finally, and then the remaster just made it even more special for the Pro 2. Okay, yeah, so, tell us about that. Okay, yeah, go there first. Yeah, I, I'm just curious about what it means, like uh, just off the top of your head or on a very basic level, what does it mean for the game to be remastered? Is that more than just accessibility? Uh, a lot of the content has shifted from the original? I think... I think it's because it's a next-gen remastered. Right. Um, they did add audio description. Now, I don't particularly use that. I tested it once just for one of my YouTube channels, mm -hmm. but um, I think that's the, the main add-on. Other than that, it was pretty much, for me, what I use, it was the same as when I played it the first time around. It just made a lot more um, sense, mm -hmm. if, especially if you can see the vision aspects of it on the PS5 version. It's very in-depth and very, very real. What is your technique? You mentioned Steve Saylor. We know um, Steve, very, very known in the gaming, accessible gaming world out there. Um, to, to get encouraged by someone, to get kind of that leg up on a game and get the interest that you formulated for the original with this, um, time, how long did it take? And how does, how does a game like that, in someone who's so passionate about gaming, Pass that on to someone like yourself who's passionate and trying to learn something new. I think that varies on the person for myself. I've always been a gamer. I've always right. um, thought about trying to get into the gaming world as a whole, but I never knew how about to do it. And when I came across the accessibility and by chance Steve Siller, that just made it uh, a reality almost it's but now it's just going to take time and dedication and continue loving what i'm doing and learning from what others are doing in that's already in the consulting business with uh developers so important and and i yes. know to each their own right like everybody has their reason for playing a game like you said very personal um but people like yourself steve there's the, there's a little bit more of another mission with that yeah 
for me, it's it's like a hobby, but I'm also trying to teach others that there is still, if you're new to gaming or want to get back into gaming, there's really nothing that you're not going to be able to accomplish as long as you're willing to adapt and learn as you go along. It's just like everyday life in, in general terms. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious about the settings. So you mentioned, you know, you tested certain things that especially when it comes to AD, the audio description, but tell us more about the accessibility and settings, I guess, features that are available for this game to make it easier, seamless for the blind gamer. Okay, so what I use constantly, I'm sure a lot of us will be using, it's audio navigational cues, which means uh, I have mostly turned all of them, all of them on. Um, I'm able to know wherever the enemies are, any objects, just by the sound difference in the cues. Um, and I like to use a stealth, so I like to sneak up on enemies. You have the option to, when you're crouching, <laughs> by pushing one of the buttons, you hold it, and either square will find you the enemies, it will highlight it, or you push the circle and it'll highlight an object and it'll highlight it in the clip of the thumbstick will point the, the camera in that direction for you. So you're always knowing where you're going at all times. Okay. okay. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, we want to run a clip because we've got a clip from you that gives a little bit of a demo of the audio cues and a little bit of audio description. Let's take a listen and watch. of there it's a nice little soft feel to it rum well it's not verbal right it's just sound cues as we said mm -hmm. and i think that that could be really helpful for a lot of people um, i'm looking at it too and i'm wondering um marcus as a low vision person do you find the contrast of this game to be uh, difficult to navigate personally for myself no um i do sit probably six feet away from my tv and yeah. it is a big screen I have not. Uh, I haven't played around with any of the contrast settings. You do have the ability to change the color schemes and everything if it will work better for you. I personally do not, though. I just tend to see to keep things the way they are for the graphics. Mm, right, okay. right. Uh, what about speed, though? I mean, again, like Rum's bringing up the, the contrast or things that someone might do with this particular game. Um, do, do, what do you do to adjust for yourself or a lot of us with low vision um, are tracking our eyes and what they what they do? Is this a game that would you say is, is a friendlier game than some of the others might be? Or is that kind of a dumb question to ask? Because, again, we go back to individuality. Yeah, it all depends. But to be honest with you, I do play on its considered story modes in lamer terms. It's easy. It focuses more on the story with little to... I don't want to say no combat, but it focuses more on the story, so it's okay. a little bit slower. Um, I did find an option to slow down game speed if you turn it on. Okay. I I have not played around with that yet. I don't really know if I I'm going to just because I'm used to I'm used to playing games, so it might not it might bore me a little bit. But that option is there in in this title. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like the personal preference of how things are done. And then for you, the 
and a lot of other gamers, I'm sure, who have the experience before the remastered, before all the additional accessibility features, and that comparison to how you played it beforehand, right? We talked about this with Mortal Kombat and um, Forza as well, where sometimes you're like thrown off by the accessibility additions and thinking, mm, this is more distracting than it is helpful, and I'm going to have to change that. Or, like you said, you prioritize graphics over some of the low-vision uh, enhanced contrast options that are out there. So is there more you want to say on that front? Not really, because when I typically turn a game on now, I'm not really looking for the accessibility anymore. If, if it's there, I will automatically go to that menu just to see. But if I can play the game and adapt to it, um, it, it's really amazing what you can do once you put your mind to it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, that's how people have gamed for years, right? Years yeah. before the accessibility conversation even came out <laughs> and commentary Absolutely, from the communities, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, mm -hmm. the best part about this title, if you do not have a console to play it, you can check out the series on HBO, so you can actually feel oh, what you're playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, for you, has aside from the accessibility, has the way you've played this game changed since you first started and you know it brought you back into gaming, as you said? Has it changed in terms of just like how you get to know the game? For example, you mentioned uh, you play on story mode more than anything. Uh, are you just not interested in the conflict side? Once combat? I complete it, I'm actually going to replay it and change the difficulty a little bit. Um, it is very much replayable. Uh, yeah. Just taking my time right now through it, but I'm going to go back into it and play it on a more difficulty. I think this might be the first title I go after uh, the trophies, which are just achievements throughout the game. Mm -hmm. But that's when I'm going to attempt to play it on a more difficult level. And is there a lot of commentary from the Blind Low Vision uh, gaming community around Last of Us Remastered 2? I believe there was when it was being hyped up to be released. I haven't heard much now because there's a lot of content coming out within the next couple weeks. Okay. Uh, when was it released again? Uh, Last of Us is, is already out. Yeah. When was it? When was the remastered uh, released? January 19th, I okay. want to say. So quite recent. I guess people are yeah, still right. trying to figure things out. Or um, they're moved on to the other, the next thing. Like yeah, you say, Marcus, thing, yeah. there's a lot there. going on right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I want to ask about the developers. You know, earlier when we were talking to Mike Fair, we chatted about the developers of Conjury. Um, and the second game he brought up, which escapes my mind, the Doncaster, thank you. Uh, the developers are super in touch with the community. They have, you know, put themselves into the platforms where the gamers, the blind low vision gamers are to keep track of what's going on, the feedback, but also just be there to constantly update and um, re-release things as they, you know, get explored, right? As glitches get figured out and all this other stuff. So, I think that that's really helpful, but obviously that's not the case, I'm assuming, that's not the case with big, giant gaming developers like this one. From my understanding, just in the last few years, Naughty Dog, who is the developer of The Last of Us, they are very much, very much into the community, especially with the accessibility community and consultants that they already work with, and they are continuously working with 
other members just to make their games even better. Um, I also believe Ubisoft is another developer on that same path to making games great for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, Marcus, looking forward to chatting with you next month. Do you know what you, you want to chat about yet? I might drop it down a little bit and bring a game for your Android devices. It's a small nice. base game. Okay, perfect. Change it up. Yeah, well, it might not even be that. We still got a month. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Marcus McCracken joins us on the second Thursday of every month. We talk accessible gaming with him featuring Last of Us Part 2 Remastered for the PS5 and his reviews on that. I'm very curious about the uh, audio cues and how they actually sound with the yeah, me binaural audio. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's really cool. I, I love the idea of the games where you're kind of having that time it's almost like a more relaxed to build up and build the personas mm -hmm. I, I find that a little interesting now take me into forza and the racing oh i'd love it exactly it just makes it more three-dimensional as an experience altogether mm. right not necessarily just about accessibility at the forefront all right after the break we got the staple thursday round table kelly mcdonald picks a couple topics we uh bring on a guest this week it happens to be karen mcgee content development specialist for ami and we'll see what Kelly has in store. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We're back with you. It's Kelly and Ramya with Kelly McDonald, Ramya Amadhan on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and podcasts. Thanks for joining the Thursday show. Because it's a Thursday show, you know what's up, Kels. Yeah, it's time, folks. Let's bring it on. A lot of conversation ahead. Make way for it. It's the Thursday Roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually oval. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Did a little bit of direction today due to the um, spinning news wheel. Um, we pick out subjects and chat between Rumyup, myself, and of course, our guest of the day, where we welcome in Karen McGee, content development specialist in Eastern Ontario, I guess is what we're saying nowadays, Karen. Morrisburg. Eastern Canada. Eastern Canada. That's what I think we should say. Ontario East. I live in Morrisburg, the thriving yeah. metropolis of Morrisburg. <laughs> all 20, Ontario all East sells are short. Ontario East just sells you really, really short. It's like a teaser, and then all of a sudden, well, what are you doing here in Newfoundland? This is my territory, oh, too. Get wow. out. She wants I get it all. I get it all. Oh. How many people in Morrisburg, <laughs> you said? 2,200. Oh, wow. I, I, I either went to high school with them all or went to high school with their children or parents. Like oh. their parents. Oh. Wow. So do you guys have enough snow to make snowmen or anything out there? Like I a nice snowman grass. on I, your lawn. I have, oh, my gosh. Leaning back here to look at I have green grass around my out, my outer buildings, like my sheds oh and stuff. I've got green gosh. grass. Green. Wow. London, London, Ontario, all over the place. All right, uh, Karen, really nice to have you back on here. I kind of have a media-driven discussion today uh, on various topics, but right off the top, Bell Media is ending multiple television newscasts and making other programming cuts after its parent company has announced widespread layoffs and the sale of 45, uh, 45 of its regional 
Oh, excuse me, 45 of its 103 regional radio stations. The company is cutting 4,800 jobs and also closing 107 the source stores. Canadian press uh, business reporter Sammy Hughes says experts say this is the latest in what one journalism professor calls a war between Bell and the federal telecom regulator. Bell has just been, you know, for a number of years now, uh, responding to CRTC decisions with um, anger, um, saying that they don't like how much regulation is going on right now, that uh, the increase uh, in the focus of uh, increasing competition um, and trying to enhance consumer choice, it's going too far. Bell says that we already have enough in this country, and um, this is just another step that it's taking to react. Okay, so a top company official says the current regulatory and public policy environment is causing profound structural change, which Bell has to mitigate through these measures that they're laying out. Um, the federal telecom regular, regulator says that it's concerned about the job losses, but does not determine how private companies will allocate their losses when it comes to this. Karen, I don't know if you've already seen this, but... Um, I've, I know myself, I've heard of the way Bell, through the, through, through the scuttlebutt, seems to value, I'll start with the media property, since that's where we are, um, and almost see these media company, uh, the broadcast entities they have as a burden. They have been fighting completely with the government and saying, we can't do this, we can't do that. It's been a whole bunch of this. Um, I, I think when we see, look over the last five years, Bell just keeps coming up, just keeps frustrating you. And I, I know for myself, an older person who remembers, yeah, but hold it. How much of that help did you get over the years to build to where you are from the government? And and maybe some of that's more of a myth in my mind, Karen? Um, it's it's not. You, you are not mistaken. Yeah, no, bad puns. Sorry. This isn't funny. Um, the um, I happen, happen to be, I was at a conference last week where bigwigs from CBC, City TV, or C, City TV Rogers, CBC, um, the CMPA, which is Canadian Association for Canadian Media Producers, um, and um, APTN, and they were all saying, local news is really important. Local news is really important. It's the most important thing. we got to save local news. And looking back, the gentleman from Bell obviously knew this was going to happen this week. Like, it just makes me angry. CBC did it too when there was a decision that they don't like. I don't disagree with the person um, who you had on just a second ago that when there's a big announcement from the CRTC that these bigger media companies to have layoffs that seem to support what they want to happen, which is they want more money. Yep. Um, they want more money and the ability important. to put that American stuff on that they want to bring or outside stuff that they don't have to pay to create. But I'm sorry, you're going that interesting direction. Local news. Local news is so important. It's not cheap to do. Um, no. It costs a lot. You you need a certain amount of staff, but they've downsized the staff so much. When I started working in television back in the 1900s, um, the crews were made up when you went out to do a story. There was a video, there was a, a camera person. Uh, there was a reporter. You had somebody edit it. You had somebody from audio. Like there was these huge crews that would go out. Now it's the reporter is the camera person, the mm. editor, and they're putting out Everything. a segment. Like they've downsized so much. In my mind, and I have to be careful here, in my mind, this is a power play. Mm -hmm. But don't, I, I could I, be wrong, but. I watched CTV London here do this feature 
uh, just over the Christmas holidays, 70 years anniversary of them being around, and they were talking about so many of the things they did, game shows that they had to actually run out, uh, out of the local affiliates, so many of these things that we, what? That called on resources, crowded newsrooms and things like that. And, you know, of course, they alluded to the fact that that's not the way it is now, not at all. And I hate to see this because what we knew as our local news here, just here, and I can only speak for here, maybe Kitchener and so on within our viewing area, and it's never going to be the same again. Um, we can hear about these cuts. We can hear, well, 9% of them are in the media area, which is what one of the quotes was. I'm not buying it, Ramya. Like, you, you sit back and you just see this. Everly, you start adding up people, as we were talking yesterday about the tech field. Mm -hmm. There's so many people gone or going to be or go, who can't be repurposed for something else. Not, it's great. Yeah, hire someone else to do something else. Okay, but you're still cutting people's jobs. Yeah, and like we, claiming it's the government fault. Well, exactly. How easy is that, right? To to point fingers and say, I'm sorry, we don't like doing this either. But you have changed so much and we can't deal. I mean, this is what happens when we really and we hear about this in so many ways, unfortunately, uh, a lot lately with tech giants and media giants who just they they employ so many people. They take on so much of our um, not just our population, but of what we consume. Of you know, like we're somehow all spider webbed into this. And so when they pull out or they make giant decisions like this and and put the boot down. Everyone's affected. And yeah. of course, those people are affected who are directly affected, like with the jobs and, and employment. But like everyone in the local news uh, angle that you guys brought, but in any way possible, we're all affected. And this is what we're saying, right? A lot of us know that this is very problematic, that one company owns so much of what we consume or where our dollars go or, you know, how we get our information and what kind of information we get. So it's it's very, very frustrating. And a lot of the time we cannot respond or react no. until it's already happened. We can't make change. And I can no, sit here and say how much influence. I enjoy finding out what's going on in my downtown, my town, what the what the city council's doing, we're not going to hear that anywhere. We're not going to see that anywhere. And this is not just going to affect the TV. It's going to affect the radio stations held locally by 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 Bell Media. It's going to affect way more than do. media. Oh, for heaven's sakes, yeah. When we talk about the stores and, and unemployment and what, what's going to go on, and again, prices going up, um, but you know, Karen, what, you, any, but you know, just always say one thing. You know, where you're going to be able to get your media is going to be streaming it. And what else does Bell sell? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Will you get any local feel? No, because who's going to want to stream what's going on in London, Ontario, uh, in Calgary? It's just have, that's the part that's so print. scary. That's yeah. You got to go back yeah. to you know the print and the yeah and yeah. It's it's frustrating. And, and, Sorry, Cal. And we're short. We're short changing it there. Uh, I want to talk about pitching show ideas. Rum, you ever think of pitching a show idea to this company? <laughs> Just right off the oh, top. No. Uh, you ever think about it? I think about it, but I don't know if my ideas would float as shows here. But really? Karen, I think you've pitched a bunch, no? I, I, Karen I, deals with pitches. Yeah. I deal with all the pitches. That's so it. let's do Oh, let's am I pitching to lunch, you? Rami. Let's do lunch, Rami. Okay, yeah, you let's go. Yeah. I, 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 like, after I like how Rami ran right to you to pass the ball right off I mean, to you. I, if yes, I'm pitching to Karen, then I'm comfortable. Yeah, let's do it. Oh. Um, it, tell us I, about I'm it, open. Yeah, tell, tell us about, about what, I do. what happens. 
Yeah. So basically we will, we get pitches from all over the place. I get pitches from people who don't know how to produce TV shows, but they have a great idea. And so I will partner them up with a production company who knows how to produce TV shows, who knows how to produce TV shows for AMI. It, it amazes me when I'm out talking to production companies and, and community groups, there are some really fantastic ideas out there. I have to be careful because I can't, you know, talk, talk about many of them right now, but we've got oh, some really certainly you can. It's just us, right? Um, yeah. We've got some really exciting things in development um, that make me really excited. And the ideas that come from the community, I just, I'm amazed. I'm just, it, it makes me excited, as you can tell, as I talk about it. I, I was, again, at a conference last week, people were requesting meetings with AMI. So production companies were saying, we want to meet with you because we have an idea for you. They've researched AMI. They know what we do. They know who our audience is. And they're coming to us with these great ideas. And it's so exciting because five years ago, I was the one knocking on doors and production companies saying, hey, like, let me know if you've got anything for us. They're coming to us now. Like, We had to turn away some meetings because we didn't have enough time to meet with everybody. Wow. Who wanted to meet wow. With us. It's wonderful. That's a great place to be in. Um, methodology for someone out there, maybe not involved with a production company, which I mean, what you just said is absolutely tremendous. It's like, oh, cool, because we know things have switched. And as you say, you guys have been pounding those steps. But even the individual out there, Ramya or whoever it might be, I know when I've pitched shows back in the day, um, quite a while ago, I had encouragement, pushed to do so, pitched the shows. Our formula, our format of doing it, people may be a little surprised too, because would you feel that we are more as a company, especially to those of us in the disability world, in that sphere, accessible to them to pitch these ideas. I, I guess. We, oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead, yeah, yeah. Talk to me. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, oh, actually, I was. I'm going to let Karen field that, Rob. Yeah, I got one go. for you. Go. Um, so we are very open. Um, our We have a, a plot um, on our website, ami.ca. You go down to the bottom, and there is a spot that says independent producers. Um, put in your idea if you're not a producer. It has to be a paragraph. Give me an idea. And then one of us, if you know, I look after Ontario East. We have Jim Crisco, who looks after um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. And we have Sylvie Fiquette, who looks after British Columbia. And one of us will be in touch with you and talk to you about your idea. There are no bad ideas. They just mm -hmm. maybe ideas we can't afford to do. Because, you know, yeah. these all, these things all cost money. But it, it's a great discussion that it it some of our best ideas have come from people who aren't don't have a TV production background, right? Yeah, yeah. Really that's good what ideas. I would think. And we will teach you. Yeah, somebody that just has an idea. Uh, Rum, do you jump on the bandwagon for the Super Bowl in any capacity, whether it's halftime oh, show, anything? Whether usually, it's the foods, usually the halftime show. But even then, I'm so I don't watch anything live, Kells. It's got to be the day after. It's, it's the highlights, and honestly, if it. But how do you enjoy the food for during highlights? I don't. Never mind that. I don't, don't take even put part it on. Just food. have your Super Bowl thing. Like if I'm at, like, there has been times when occasionally I've been at my family's when Super Bowl's happening, and my brother takes part. So if he's also home, because they're usually out doing Super Bowl things on their with their friends, um, and anyways, if they're home and I'm home, then the Super Bowl will be on, and I'll watch. But I've never never like sat there and tried to watch they tell you of me right. trying to understand football anyways go on well i want to talk about the commercials guys for mm. just a couple moments because this might be something you can go look at for some of these online here's some of the buzziest super bowl ads that are out there associated press put this out if you're watching it for the commercials like mentioned you can look a little bit further uh ahead of time because some of them get put out there uh uber eats has uh, when Gen someone tells Jennifer Aniston 
that they didn't know you could order a wide variety of products on Uber Eats, Aniston tells them, in order to remember something, you've got to forget something else. Now, that prompts a wave of forgetting here. Uh, David and Victoria Beckham forget that uh, Victoria used to be Posh Spice. And Jennifer Aniston forgets that she starred in Friends with David Schwimmer. You imagine that happening, Rum? That's one of those commercials. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Okay, all right, all right. Pepsi Co. Uh, has uh, year, their year-old lemon lime soda. Their Super Bowl ad features rapper uh, Ice Spice dealing with a breakup by spending time with the starry lemon and lime spokes characters. The message, it's time to see other sodas. Oh. Karen, do you get caught up in these things? Is this your thing? I we live in a football house. Um I am very excited about the about the, the um Super Bowl this year. We watch it every year. I make chili. I usually set the chili at least 48 hours before because chili always tastes better two yeah. or three days later. Yeah. You gotta make it. Mm -hmm. It's like a three-day thing. Um it, it's it's wonderful. Now at now at my age, am I usually in bed before the game ends? Yes. <laughs> I will admit that, that after the halftime. You get show, highlights as well. Thank you. You get highlights as well. I'll, I'll watch it from bed, but I was like, we don't we don't have big parties here anymore like mm. we used to. Um but I did I did see a question online the other day about what were your favorite to Super Bowl halftime shows? And I'm like, yeah, um, Prince, the Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen. And then realized those were all like 20 some years ago. <laughs> oh, you aren't talking oh, about the Prince a... hologram from oh. Justin Timberlake? No. <laughs> no. Talking about the actual Prince. <laughs> the, the, Michael, the Michael Jackson one was great and Slash came up out of the stage and oh, it was wow. awesome. But those were great shows where I'd be up dancing around and, and I admit oh. maybe sometimes I don't know all the songs that are on now at the halftime show. I maybe but, H out of it a little did bit. Did you take Mondays yes. off, Karen, because of your crazy Super Bowl parties? I used to. In the to. day. Back in the yeah. day. In the day. Yeah. Now, yeah, used now to I, I work to. from home. It's easier. <laughs> um, it's easier to be hungover. Budweiser. <laughs> Speaking of hungover, in their old nostalgia ads that they're running, a snowstorm threatens to derail a delivery to a small town bar, but a team of Clydesdales and Labrador Retrievers team up to help Budweiser make the delivery. Now, here's the heartstring one that we will leave uh, everybody with. This is Google's. As he um, Google's heartstring pulling ad follows a blind man as he uses guided frame Google's AI-powered accessibility feature for the Pixel camera that uses a, uh, a combination of uh, audio cues, high-contrast animations, and tactile vibrations to take pictures and places uh, of the... Uh, sorry, take pictures of people and places in his life. Ramya, don't you wish there was description for these? Oh, I thought there would be. Like, we're, ah. we're having so many different... Um, how do you say it? Uh, uh, different apps doing different things that all need to come together now. Because now we got the taste of the description, the taste of the picture taking, the taste of the audio cues. And now can we just please put it all into one system? Thanks. Um, especially for a $7 million 30-second spot. Sheesh. Should be easy to afford that. Karen, thanks for being with us on the roundtable. It's always my pleasure, Kelly and Ramya. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Karen McGee, Eastern Ontario, uh, sorry, Ontario and part East content development specialist. I think that's the best way to word it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Taking a yeah. break.
Coming back to wrap the show with you, ever thought about how um, you might want to be living in Europe over the U.S.? Ah, well, you might think further about that as well. That's a part of our closing moment. Also, I'll let you know what's going on with Now with Dave Brown, their Friday morning edition. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. episode of Kelly and Remy are coming to a close shortly. So a quick reminder that we are available on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and podcasts. Podcasts is the best, the most on-demand way to get a hold of us. And of course, we're up there a little differently because we do segment out podcast episodes for you to make it easier to share and keep track of our conversations. Let's get to Now with Dave Brown. They have a show every weekday at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv live. And Friday morning, they've got a pretty giant lineup, Kels. Mm, they start things with the Friday news panel with uh, journalist Michelle McQuig and Joita Gutta, host of The Pulse. They join Dave to talk about some of the notable stories of the week, including the U.S. Republican Party held its Nevada primary on Tuesday. Someone named none of the above won, beating out actual contender Nikki Hawley. Former President Donald Trump wasn't even on the ballot. The results don't count because there'll be a caucus tonight to decide the actual results. The panel will discuss the point of having a performative vote if it doesn't count. And how do they feel about including the option of uh, marking none of the above uh, on the ballot? Would that increase voter turnout on these elections? Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access will offer featured selections uh, from the Sella collection in honor of this being White Cane Week. Nice. Memoirs of people who wrote about their experience with vision loss. And, of course, it is the Super Bowl, as we were speaking about this Sunday. Our roundtable discussion will discuss the important things, uh, including the commercials, possibly, uh, the snacks while watching the game, and the overall media hoopla. And, oh, yes, rum? Mm. I'm not sure because you're there. They might even talk about the actual game. That's the now, gang, 9 a.m. in the morning, folks, on AMI-tv. They promised they'd stay away from the actual football part of the Super Bowl. But anyways, uh, just lies, saying. Lies and poppycock. Dave made that promise on air, you know, Dave? Okay, <laughs> here's here's an article I found on BuzzFeed. It's called 18 Very Common Everyday European Things That Would Be Considered Luxuries in the United States. Um <laughs> these are responses that people sent in via email and it's quite interesting. I didn't get to I didn't get all 18 in here but here are some highlights, all right? What do Europeans have in everyday life that you consider uh, a luxury in America? No gaps in bathroom stall doors. So that one the gaps between the door um you don't even think about these things, right? Like, you don't even think about that being an actual problem, but it, of course, is a problem, and they don't have to deal with it. Wow. Um, also, automatically having four to six week weeks of vacation at time of hire. We went on about this one. I should say went off about this one on yep, our pre-show Lyman's meeting. favorite. Yeah, what the heck, man? I still don't have four weeks. Anyway, oh, wait, maybe I do. All right. No high fructose corn syrup in everything. They say you don't even have to check the labels because it's literally not in a, a, a concern. Interesting. Mm. 
Towel warmer racks and heated bathroom floors. Okay, that honestly sounds like a luxury even in Europe, so what the heck. Uh, extremely strong consumer protection laws. A bare minimum quality slash duration expectation of all services and products. I think this is a huge one, and we get into it a lot uh, with our tech um, uh, contributors, so yep. Fresh baked bread for a reasonable price and you can get it at walking oh distance gosh, from your really? home and wow. aren't full of artificial preservatives <gasps> closer unheard than of. the grocery store unheard of yeah good public transport outside of main cities another big one for accessibility and people in the disabled community that we get on about on our shows and time. only in small places in, in canada okay really, big yeah. places Time. Time to eat. Time to, uh, without being shoved out, coffee at a cafe. Time to spend with new children. Time in every single way that we feel is unattainable. Affordable, high-speed internet. That's the last one I'll highlight. Wow. Eye-opening. On tomorrow's show, that is a Friday edition of Kelly and Remia, we're talking about Google's latest AI video chat translator. It can render cute animal videos in implausible situations. John Beeler's got that on the app update. Gardener Susan Kearney features the hardy halibur, which blooms in late winter or early spring. Love it. We'll be back tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Chef's trick from me to you. I love to, and so does my youngest brother, love to make giant pots of stew, sauce, curry, whatever you will, you know, the gravy of it all. And sometimes we'll use chicken, sometimes we'll use other proteins, all good. But you end up having so much sauce left over and not enough of the protein to go around. So, you, you know, you make this pot and you think, oh, I'm going to have this for nine meals. There's just so much. But then by meal four, meal five, uh, you've run out of the shrimp. <laughs> and I think, what do I do now? So I love grilling any kind of meat on the side and then tossing it in with the gravy later. I know, I know it's kind of lazy. It's not the same. We should plan our ratios better. But at the end of the day, you got the really, really good sauce and you don't just want to eat sauce with rice or something. Proper protein. Add it in. Use your leftover sauce. I love it. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.